Amen. Thank you, Kelly, Jen, and Tom. Good morning. My name is Mike Gary. I am the pastor here at Communitas Church. And Communitas is a church that exists to love God and to love people and to build disciples in the Brainerd Lakes area and around the world who walk in grace, who grow in their faith, and who gather in groups and explore their gifts and then generously use those gifts to build disciples in and around the Brainerd Lakes area who walk in grace, grow in faith, gather in groups, explore our gifts, and then generously use those gifts to build disciples in and around the Brainerd Lakes area who on and on and on. So this is, this is a process that we're a part of, and it's an ongoing type of process. And so we've, we've worshipped in a number of different ways this morning, right? So we've worshipped by gathering together. Just our, our coming together and being with one another is an act of worship. We've worshipped through singing, singing songs about who God is and what he's done, uh, reminds us about who we are and then how we're to live. We've also worshipped through giving of our tithes and our offerings. As, as Tom said, it's, yeah, this is another way that we, we worship the Lord. And a little bit we're going to worship uh, through preaching, the proclamation of God's Word. And um, I think what I love about just the, the way in which we do that and we worship through that, as, as Kelly said, there's, there's this moment where I mean, Ephesians has been kind of convicting. You go through, and, and I think you know each week is, as we prepare for what's coming up, and, and you look at it and you go, yeah, I, I find myself on the list. And, and over the next few months, Paul continues to, he's going to give us a few things that, that are he's gonna get really specific. You know, we've talked about how we've gone from this kind of macro view to a very micro view. We've gone to very large, overarching, easy-to-understand topics to now these very personal subjects. And you go, yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm bitter. And so we're going to hear words from a, a person that is, has at times been bitter, has at times been angry. But we have hope and that we're able to worship. Why? Not because of what we do throughout the week, but what Christ has done and this, the power of the Spirit within us. And, and so whether it's myself or, or anyone else who's up here preaching, we're, we're listening to words from, from broken people who are being made whole, right? We're all maimed saints in here if we're following the Lord. And uh, so we want to keep that in mind as, as we think about how we worship through listening and, and through preaching uh, to the proclamation of God's Word. But before we get that, we're going to get to, uh, we're going to worship through communion. And so the way that we do communion here is we practice what's called open communion. So whether you are a guest here or you are a member or you are a regular attender or regardless of, of where you're at, um, this is something in which you can participate. But So we call it, it's, it's open communion. So what does that mean? So that means that if you are a repentant follower of, belief, of, of Jesus, um, if you are a believer in Christ, we invite you to come to the table. And as you look around, there's some, some little kids in here. And so, parents, we're going to leave that up to you to decide whether or not this is a, an appropriate uh, expression of worship uh, for your kids to participate in and how you'd like them to do that. Um, and, but then it begs the question, you know, why do we, why do we celebrate communion? What's, what's, so, what's so magical about organic grape juice and, and gluten-free crackers? Right? Like it's not a very big 
meal. But it is a very big deal. And it isn't magical, but it's, it's very sacred. And, and there isn't anything that, you know, by eating this, it, is, you know, it, isn't, it isn't a potion. But the reason that we do this and the reason that historically the church has celebrated this throughout history, that every Christian church throughout church history has celebrated this meal. Different frequencies, different formats, different ways. But, but why? Well, because it informs us about who we are and how we're to live. So last time that Jesus and his friends were together, they, they shared this meal. And so he doesn't give them you know, another to-do list. We've talked about this. It's not, oh, let's just get the checklist out so we can check the boxes. He doesn't give them one more sermon, right? Because if, if, if you knew that, that your days were, were numbered, if you knew that the end was near, would you want to spend time with your friends just giving them a to-do list? No, Jesus says, I, I want to be with you. And I want to take some time to, to be with you. And so that begins to inform the way that we approach the kingdom of God and the way that we participate in the kingdom of God. And so the way that we do communion here is, is uh, we're going to take a few moments in silence. And you're going, man, like little kids, silence. We've done this confession thing already today. This is, how's this going to go? Well, it, it's going to go really well because we're learning. And so there's, are there going to be some noises made? Sure. That'll happen. But this is a skill that we're developing, taking time to be able to listen to the Lord. Right? This isn't, it isn't easy. How, how many of you listen and, and every word that a friend of yours ever says to you, you understand what that you hear it, you understand it, and anybody ever had a, a communication error in their life? Right? But what it, so what does that mean? We're developing that ability to listen, to hear, and to discern. And so as a way to practice that, we're going to take some time in silence and we're going to ask the questions of, of who is God? And, and who is God the Father and, and what has he done? Who is, who is God the Son and, and how did Jesus live his life and, then, and how am I living my life as a result of that? And then who is God the Holy Spirit and, and how, is, how is the Holy Spirit working in and through me, changing my life that, that the lives of others around me would be changed? And are, are there specific people and circumstances that, that the Lord is bringing to mind? Maybe, maybe mistakes that had been made, sins that had been committed. Maybe there are things that were done well that the Lord's saying, yeah, I've wired you to do that. Keep doing that. And so we're going to take time to, uh, and, and, and listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. And in this time, we hope that the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. We're hoping that the Holy Spirit will confirm in us the things that we're doing, that we're doing well, that we would better convey these truths to the world around us. So as I said, we're going we're gonna to take a little bit of time in silence thinking about who is God the Father and what has He done? Who is God the Son and how did Jesus live His life? And then who is God the Holy Spirit and, and how is the Holy Spirit working in and through my life? And what, what sins have I committed? What things have I done that, that, have, that are doing well that I need to continue to do and who and, and how might the Lord be using me to convey this message of hope to a broken world and as there's no time limit on this we're not looking at the clock so this is all this is us this is our time to take to listen to the Lord as a as a body as a church and so as you're ready come on forward grab the elements we've got them set out to your right 
and to your left. Grab those elements, bring them back to your seat. And then when everyone's gone through the line, I'll come back up, we'll read some words from Scripture, and then we'll all partake of the meal together. So uh, continue to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day to praise you. We pray that all that is all that we see and all that is unseen would be would be evidence that points to you. Jesus, we see the way that you lived your life. And we're so thankful for that. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to work in our lives, that we would live more like Jesus, that we would be who you've created us to be, both individually and as a church, both locally and globally. So we pray, Father, that your will would be done in our lives, in our community, and throughout your kingdom. Convict us of our sins. Confirm in us what we have done well, that we would continue to do it. And bring situations and people, places and times where you've been calling us to convey your truth to your people. As Jesus and his friends were eating, there was a particular script that was followed. This was a, a meal. Um, it was kind of a, a holiday, if you will. It was um, so there was there was a kind of an order to this very sacred meal. And uh, when the time had come to break the bread, he blessed it and broke it, and knowing that, that like this bread, his body would too break, he gave it to the, the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. And as the good meals do, especially those when you know that you're not going to see each other for, for quite some time, as those meals tend to, to linger on into the evening, so did this one. And there came a time to, to take the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, knowing that his, his blood would spill out. He said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for this covenant. We thank you that you invite us to this table to this meal, and to this life. And so, Lord, we pray that we would live as forgiven people, those who walk in your grace, and that we would extend that grace to others, that they too would walk in it and walk in wholeness as your sons and daughters. Amen. Okay, at uh, this time there are some blue buckets that will be making their way around. Feel free to take your cup and, and throw them in there and we will recycle them for you. This time, if you have a paper Bible, feel free to pull that out. We are in Ephesians. Uh, we've been in Ephesians for quite some time. Today we're going to be in Ephesians. Uh, we'll be reading verses 1 through 14, but we will be looking specifically at verse 4. Uh, so we did 1 through 2 a few weeks back. We did 3 last week, verse 4, and so... First, verse 4 this week, and Julie will be reading that. 
If you don't have a, a Bible, feel free to pull out a mobile device and tap, swipe, do whatever else is you need to do uh, to pull up the words there. And if none of those options are available or preferable to you, the words will be displayed on the screen behind us. So, Julie, whenever you're ready. Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon, upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Amen. Thank you, Julie, and thank you, Lord, that we are able to read your words here this morning, that we can gather publicly and, and do so, and Lord, help us to remember that there are many in your church where that is not the case, that around the world and there are, uh, there are laws against what we're doing right now. So Lord, I pray that um, we would take advantage of the resources that we have here and that we would use those resources to further your kingdom, that all would be able to read your word, hear your word, to know your word and, and believe it. Amen. Okay, at this time, kids, you can head on out this direction. And uh, Lily and Tiffany and Ellie and Paul and Leanne, and, or Pam rather, and, uh, and Jewel and Scott all have a great lesson planned for you back there. And so Lord, we thank you for these kids. We thank you for these volunteers. And we pray that these kids would grow and continue to, uh, to bear your image and to display your image. And Lord, we thank you for these volunteers, their willingness to take time to, to teach and to, to disciple your children. We know that it's not a second-class occupation to, to teach your kids, Lord, but you've considered that and demonstrated that to be mission critical. Amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me. Said no one ever.
if we're being honest, right? Right? I mean, we, I remember hearing that as a, as a, as a, a, a little boy. They say, oh, sticks and stones will break your bones, but your words will never hurt you. And it's like, you know, I, I played a lot of contact sports, and, and those wounds tended to heal a little better than, than the words did. Anyone else ever notice that? Was that, was that, is that a unique experience, or was that, you know, like, I mean, it, it takes some work to recount some of the, the physical injuries, but for whatever reason, there's, it's the words that just get blazing into my mind. And maybe it's just because I talk a lot and words are somewhat important or so, I don't know. That, that, that could be it. But right, I mean, I've always found the interesting sticks and stones may break my bones, but, but your words will never hurt me. And I, mean, I understand why, you know, we're trying to increase some resiliency and, and, you know, build some resolve in people when we say that, but, but so often, you know, that's, that's just not true, is it? Because our words have a great deal of power, both in, in what we do say and also in what we don't say, right? I mean, how many times have, have we needed to hear certain words that just never came from someone? Or, or maybe, maybe the, the wound is that, you know, silence would have been appropriate, but for whatever reason, we're around someone who just felt the need to fill that silence and as a result just continued to drive the wedge between us. And so words are important. And so as we're going through Ephesians, and, and so we, you know, as, as I said earlier, we, we kind of had this overarching thing going on, right? Where, where Paul's talking about just the, the beauty and the grandeur of, of who God is. And he's... He's talking about how this, this God who created all things, that which is seen and unseen, took the, the, these people, us, who were once far off and, and brought them near, that we'd be able to display the manifold wisdom of God. And so it begins to talk about who we are. And he says, hey, look, I've, I've created you in my image to imitate me. The, the, the fancy uh, phrases, you know, the imago dei and the imitatio dei, right? So you've been created in the image of God to imitate God. And so our, it's, 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 I didn't save you just so that you could feel good. I saved you so that you could go out and, and save others, that, that you, would, you would display my glory throughout my kingdom. Which, which sounds really awesome, right? You're like, oh, cool, yeah. I could, like, the Lord, Lord's going to use me? All right, yeah. Like, I can, I can get on board with that, right? Like, especially kind of our, our Western, like, yeah, empower me kind of mentality, like, yeah, this is really cool. And the Lord's like, okay, but first we're going to do some surgery on your heart. And it's like, oh, excuse me, time out what? And, and, and so Paul is, is going to kind of take out the microscope and just go through and, and just surgically start to whittle away the parts of our, of our heart that are cold and hard and callous. Like a master arborist would would approach a tree or a master gardener would would approach a plant just pruning away that which isn't bearing fruit and sometimes it's, it's going to look as it's going to leave us looking a little bit unwhole for a time but he's not interested in in the temporary right paul's like no you got to see downrange and so i want you to, to you know take a moment and imagine so Imagine that you're, you're in the first century there with, with Paul, right? And so 
Paul is, is under house arrest in Rome, and, uh, and he's writing to this church in Ephesus. It's you know, on, the, on the Mediterranean, third largest city in the, in the, in the, Roman, the Roman Empire. And so Paul's writing to this church, and, and they're about, the church is about our age, right? Like their communitas has about, been around for about eight, nine years, and that's about how long the church in Ephesus had been going when, when Paul writes this letter to this, this group of, of, of churches. And as we said last week, you know, we remember that there was, there was that big temple, and, and the way that people worshiped was they would go in there and, and they would just engage in, in all kinds of mess with one another, right? And, uh, and, and we said that that kind of exposed the heart. So it was people that were willing to do anything to another person in order to get what they wanted. And we said that while we would look and we would say, well, that kind of sounds a little bit like what we face in today's culture, it begins to help us understand that this isn't necessarily a present-day modern American problem, but it's rather it's a, a heart problem. It's a humanity problem. It's a, it's a post fall problem. And so Paul's, you know, so, so last week we said, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So imagine, so if you're Paul, and, and you're writing, and you know that, that sexual impurity and covetousness were, were at the very root of the people to whom you're writing. Okay, so if, what, what might need to change? And if, and if you, he, you know, so he writes the beginning, he says, therefore be imitators of God, right? So if he's going, okay, so you've been created in the image of God, you're made to imitate God. So sexual immorality and covetousness, that has to go away. This whole, I only want to satisfy my inner desires that needs to be put to death. And then he, then he starts addressing his, the speech. Now, why is that? I don't, I don't think this is unique to the ancient Near East, but now if you, if you spent time kind of degrading that which is praiseworthy, that which was made in the image of God, if, if you come from a culture that spent time degrading that, what might your conversations look like? We think about in our own lives, right? I mean, whether it's the locker room, the boardroom, the break room, what are the things that we hear? And as we think even just recalling our, our own brokenness, what are the things that we talk about? And what are the things that we joke about? So, in, in, and especially in the, in the Greco-Roman world, um, they didn't have all the forms of entertainment that we have now. But w- if you went to a party, the, the, it was still the same thing. So it was really prized to have somebody who was witty. Somebody who could, who could tell a joke and who could tell a story. And have you ever been around these people? I mean, they're just super engaging where you go to a party and they just they have a way with words. And they can craft sentences and then they can say things where you go, I, I think that, but I would never say it that way. And it's never as funny as, as when it comes out of this person's mouth. And you, maybe you're telling the story to a friend the next day and you're going, yeah, this guy, he said this thing. And, and, and you say what they said, but it just doesn't come out right. Right? Because you're just not that witty. You're just not that funny. Right? And so, and so that was something that was, that was common and that was 
that was venerated, that was looked up upon. And so Paul knows that, that this is something that people are into. And he knows that, that in the various pockets and in the various social circles and the various places that these people are meeting, that, that if you're going to a temple where impurity and covetousness are the forms that they, and the ways in which they express worship, he knows that it's going to affect speech outside of that temple. There's this connection between the words that we say and the, and the heart that motivates us. I'm going to read a few words from, from Proverbs about the tongue. So why does, it's always struck me, like why does Paul, you know, so he talks about these kind of expressions and he goes right to the words. In Proverbs 10:19 says, "But he who holds his tongue is wise." Verse 20 says, "The tongue of the righteous is choice silver." 10:31 says, "But a, a perverse tongue will be cut out." 11:12 says, "A man of understanding holds his tongue." Then on the flip side, in 12:18, we read that the tongue of the wise brings healing. 19 says, but the lying tongue lasts only a moment. 15.2 says, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. 4 says, the tongue that brings healing is the tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. A liar pays attention to the malicious tongue. He whose tongue is deceitful falls into trouble. 17.28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. Mark Twain would also say, better to be quiet and appear the fool than to open your mind and erase all doubt, or open your, your mouth and erase all doubt. And then 18.21 says, the tongue has power of life and death. So Paul knows this. And so he says, so we're going we're gonna to address, be, we're going we're gonna to give you some new core new being, new identity. We're going to address behavior, inner and outer motivations and expressions. This is now, I want you to watch your tongue. Because these words that you say are going to inform how you think and, it, and it's, going to, it's going to seep out into the world. And, and so these words, when he, so when he, he describes this type of talk says, let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. So he's not saying, I think often, depending on, on what your church experience is, sometimes this can be like, well, don't swear. You can talk negatively about people, but don't swear. Right? Because that's how Jesus would have done it. Right? No, he's saying, he's saying no, look, there's, there's all sorts of ways that, that it's going to be really easy to let these things kind of creep in. I was listening to, I think, Francis Chan express it one way. He's saying, you know, we, people will, will condone or will, uh, will condemn certain types of behavior, but will sing along to the song that sings about it on the radio, right? And, and this isn't me saying, hey, watch it, you know, I'm not advocating for music. I'm just trying to increase our level of discernment and awareness of the ways in which sin creeps into our life and takes hold of our heart and the way that we begin to, to shift. And so imagine that you're, you're there in, in Ephesus 
and you're gathered around. And imagine for a moment, maybe you're one of those, maybe you're, you're one of the, the temple worship leaders, those who engaged in, in those activities for a living. And now you've been set free from that. Right? So imagine that you've, you've heard these words where Paul says, you who are far off have been brought near. That, that I've adopted you as, as sons, you've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. How might these words begin to affect you and, and might cause you to look at your own speech? Because all of a sudden, when you're looking at people, you're recognizing, oh yeah, I'm talking to or about God's handiwork. Right? So verse 1, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And so we're made in the image of God to imitate God. And so he's saying, so when, when, you, when you're out and about and when you're with people and when you're not with people and when you're talking to people or you're talking about people, you're talking to and about that which has been made in the image of God. And so how you talk about them has direct relationship and correlation with what you think about who God is and about how God acts. And so when, and so this is in, in chapter 4 when he talks about slander and bitterness and envy and how we're to put away uh, you know, maliciousness and strife. How does that begin to change the way we talk about people? Remember, I was reading a book by a guy named uh, Gerald Vaughn called Taming the Restless Heart, a little like 63-page double-space book, wide margins, my kind of read. And I remember like there were people earlier on in my, in my, my Christian life that I just didn't get along with, you know? And it was like, hey, just because they're my brother and my sister doesn't mean we have to be friends, right? Like that was, you know, that's what I thought. And I was like, eh, whatever. And the way that I spoke of them was not was not good. It wasn't bad, you know. It's like, okay, right? I mean, it was just whatever. And I remember reading this book, and, and this guy just put it plainly. He's like, you're essentially just telling the Lord, yeah, you screwed up. When, when we speak against that which has been made in the image of God, and we, you're essentially looking at God and being like, yeah, I know you created all that was seen and unseen, all these things that I don't understand. You screwed up. That takes some moxie. That's idolatry. And that's sin. And it isn't meant to say that, hey, when, when somebody does something that you can't confront them. And it isn't meant to say that you can't call a spade a spade, but when we look at Jesus' life, there was a particular way in which He walked. There was a particular way in which he confronted and he spoke about people. And even those who persecuted him, he didn't go back and, and talk to Peter like, oh man, gosh, that, that Pharisee, can you believe? You know, and even Paul, right? We read in Acts that Paul gets treated horribly. And when he writes to Ephesus, does he, does, to the church in Ephesus, does he say, oh yeah, that guy that beat me up and like threw me out of town? Anybody get him yet? No, Paul's way too concerned with conveying the gospel and talking to people about the radical transformation that has happened in his life to be concerned with the trivial matters 
of the temporal. Right? And so when he says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, when you're out of place, he's saying, hey, you know, speak with modesty, reverence, respect. So instead, let there be thanksgiving. So when we're thankful to the Lord and when we praise the Lord, that's how we can begin to intercede for one another, right? Because it starts to put our heart in the right position, in the right posture before the Lord. And so, so what is it that Paul is, is, is trying to get across? He was saying, you ought to be living a life of thanksgiving. Right? You ought to be living a life of thanksgiving. And so what and how we speak speaks volumes about who we are and in whom we believe. I got hired on by a friend of mine to, to help him flip a house one time. And he contracted some roofers to come over and redo the roof. And so I was working inside and, and we're tearing up carpet and redoing this floor. And, I'm, and we're talking with the roofers one day out, you know, on, on lunch. And, um, and he's like, oh, you know, like how long, you know, he's, we're just shop talk, right? How long you been in the trade, whatever else, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I'm actually just here to help him do this. And then I don't know, I'm, on to the next thing. And this, this friend of mine, who was in between work, he'd been a, a chaplain at a university. And, and so we're just talking with the roofers about that. And I remember the roofers being like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, boss doesn't swear at us. And he actually paid us on time. And yeah, like he, yeah, I guess he, he that is pretty different. And so then before the job is ended, they're, they're there asking my boss, hey, you know, tell us more about this. Like, this doesn't really compute with us. Right? And we've talked about this before. You live a lifestyle that demands an explanation, and, and when the opportunity comes, give it. And so this, this boss of mine, was, he was looking for those opportunities to display the manifold wisdom of God and to talk about people, about who they are and who the Lord is and what the Lord is calling them to do. And so when you live a life of thanksgiving, you have some of those opportunities. So why is it that we're supposed to live this life of thanksgiving? Well, it's, it's the antidote for self-centeredness. Paul's going, hey, I, I recognize that if you've come out of, of sexual impurity and covetousness and greed and, and self-centeredness have been markers of your soul for all these many years, praise. Give thanks. I know that in my life it's really tough to be bitter and, and cold-hearted to those who are close to me if I'm thankful for them and I'm praising the Lord for having them in my life. And in fact, those moments when, when bitterness and, and wrath and anger and, and calamity come in, that's when it's all the more important to seek the Lord and praise Him for the gifts of the, of the folks that I have in my life. And so if we, if we don't do this, if we continue to degrade what is praiseworthy, if we continue to degrade that which should be praised, we'll also eventually degrade that who should be praised. Because it isn't long before, you know, so as we see that the, this church in Ephesus, 
people that were once praising that which gave them glory, that which gave them pleasure, all of a sudden begin to sing songs about who God is and what He's done. They sing songs of thanksgiving and praise, and their lives are marked by thanksgiving and praise. And so if we don't continue on that, we're just going to slip back into our old ways. We're going to slip back into death and destruction, isolation, loneliness. So what should we do? Speak words of praise. Speak words of thanksgiving. Speak words which uplift the Lord and His people. Every morning on the radio, uh, I worked at a ranch in Colorado for a little while, and so we had you know, the walkie-talkies, whatever else, no cell phone reception. It's awesome. And every morning on the radio, my friend Hank would, would pull out his radio, and, and you know the guests are all gathered around getting ready for going on a horseback ride. Workers are all over the place. And so you could hear some of the radio chatter. And every morning, my friend Hank would get on the radio, and he would call into the, the front office to our friend Caroline, and Caroline had gone from just kind of this really introverted and, and kind of just anxious person. And had, during her time at the ranch, it started to kind of blossom and the Lord continued to do some work in her to, to be able to overcome some of the issues of, of self-worth and, and, and um, just kind of degrading herself. And every morning, Hank would get on the radio and he'd say, Caroline, have I told you yet today that I'm glad that we are friends? No, Hank, you have not. You have a great day. And so every morning, this would happen. Every morning, I started off with, Caroline, have I told you yet today that I'm glad that we are friends? And th so every morning, everyone around the ranch got to hear someone use electronics for good, use communication for good, use words for good, and it set the tone for... I mean, imagine, so you get up, you're on vacation... You're on your way out for a horseback ride and you hear one employee say to another employee, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm glad that we're friends. Does that start to begin to shift your experience and your perception and your hope for humanity? And so what does that look like and how would that begin to change our social circles? And think of all the different places where we, have, where we use words, have words, leave words. We talked earlier about the locker room, the boardroom, the bedroom, the break room. Sadly, sometimes the prayer room are places where, where filthy and, and foolish talk happen. But what would it look like if, if words of modesty and reverence were used in all those areas? And how would we begin to, to shape and shift our culture if, if in all those moments we, we spoke words of thanksgiving and of praise? I know we, we've talked about this in the past. It seems kind of idealistic, doesn't it? You know, because we live in a broken world where there are broken people and broken people break things, right? And so in the locker rooms, in the boardrooms, sometimes in the bedrooms and in the prayer rooms and in the break rooms, there's going to be conversation. There's going to be things that are going on. And, you're, and, and you don't want to be the one who just says, ah, you know... Like we can't expect non-believers to act like believers, right? Like that's not fair. That isn't ever how the Lord treats non-believers. 
what do we say in, in past weeks? He invites them to come along. And so use the example of a friend of mine who used to always just say, hey, that might be okay for you, but I just, I'm really struggling with, with this. And when you say those types of words about that person, I just can't help but hold on to them. I can't get them out of my head. And so if I'm around, would you please not do that? So what does it do? It just gives them control. And if there's one thing I know about me when I'm, when I'm not following the Lord, it's that I'm greedy and that I love control. And so if someone isn't following the Lord and, and, you're, and you can give them that control, what does that hurt? How does it begin to, to help them shift? Because our confidence is in the Lord. Not what my coworker thinks of me. Yeah, if he thinks that he's helping me out by, by refraining from foolish talk, sure, I'll take that. How does that begin to shift the way that, that society treats one another? So speak words of thanksgiving, praise and uplift the Lord and His people, and then confront it among believers. And we talked about this in the past. This is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable, you know, because most of us kind of live in this somewhat passive-aggressive northern Minnesota indirect or non-confrontational way of being, right? And especially within the church, we need to have these conversations to say, hey, remember that that person is made in the image of God. And that affects the way that we talk to and about them. Even when they're in sin. And so in light of this, what do our words say about us? Kelly invited us into a time of confession. What do our, what do our words say about us? And do we, do we have a tendency to speak words which, which praise or words which degrade? As we think over previous conversations and we think about life in light of, of Ephesians 4, are our words words of, of bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, and slander? Or are they, are they words of kindness? Tenderheartedness. Are we living a life that says, God, thank you for getting me out of this mess. Thank you for saving me. Or are we living a life that says, I did this all on my own and everybody else is inferior and should look on in awe of me. Those are ultimately the two roads. And so this brings to mind, what are, for what are you thankful? As you think about your life and as you think about this day, this, this past week, this past month, for what are you thankful? The Christian life isn't marked simply by you know, this hyper-optimistic, oh, you know, the situation's horrible, but I'm always looking on the, you know, it's not just looking on the bright side, but it's the deep-seated joy that comes from knowing that that the God that created you in His image, knowing that you were far off, brought you near. It's Jesus, even at the moment of His death, even knowing that, that the cross is coming, is still able to praise the Lord. And so, I mean, what, is, what does it look like to thank the Lord in your daily life? How do we praise 
the Lord for who He is and, and what He has done and is doing to, in, and through us. Maybe this week you take some time to draw it, write about it, talk about it. Whatever it is that you, however you express yourself, maybe take some time this week to do that. And so when we, whenever we hear God's voice, we must remember, remind, and rejoice. So let's remember to live a life of thanksgiving. And let's remind ourselves and others to praise and not degrade. And let's rejoice that He's given us much for which we can be thankful. Continue to pray with me. Lord, we thank You for these words. We thank You for this life that You've given us. That of all that is lost, You've been able to redeem it. So Lord, we pray that we would continue to participate in the healing that You're bringing to Your kingdom. And that it would go forth by Your Spirit through Your people. Amen. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As we go out this week, may we live lives of thanksgiving. May our words be words of not to degrade, but to praise. In the locker room, the boardroom, the break room, the chat room, the prayer room. Because our rock and our redeemer has given us much for which we should be, should be thankful. Join us in the back for some simple carbohydrates, some caffeinated beverages. Go in peace.